Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about a very important subject and speaking out for those who do not have a voice right now. They've been silenced. And I'm talking about Ohio's elderly that are locked behind closed doors and windows at Ohio's nursing homes. We are now entering the fourth month of a government closure of uh, any visitors to Ohio nursing homes. Governor DeWine back in March ordered that nursing home visitations uh, be suspended because of COVID-19. The governor took these actions as precautions uh, for our elderly and for those who are have pre-existing conditions. And though there may have been good intent in the beginning, it has become now a situation where this now is becoming a very harmful measure to our elderly as they have been locked behind closed doors away from family and friends and any contact from the outside world outside of the staff that work in the nursing homes. It's a very important issue right now and one in which we're addressing with our governor. We're going we're gonna to talk about this this half hour. And with me in the studio is Al Davis. He is a pastor of the Richfield Bible Baptist Church, which also he is a board member of the Ohio Christian Alliance and has an outreach uh, to the nursing homes. But of course, the ministries to nursing homes haven't been able to get in there uh, since the beginning of March as well. And I want to read to you a verse of scripture from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says that this is the fifth commandment, and it is the commandment with promise. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Pastor Al, from James one twenty-seven, what does the Bible read? Yes, Chris, the Bible says in James one twenty-seven, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The Bible is very clear that we are to care for our elderly, that we are to honor our parents, we're to honor our fathers and mothers. And so, so many people right now are going through a very difficult time not being able to go in and to visit with their loved ones. And so the state has not come up with any protocol for visitation for even one family member. We have heard disastrous stories of people that have actually passed away without anyone being in attendance by their side. I'm going to read to you a letter that we issued to Governor DeWine's office last Friday, June 5th. Dear Governor DeWine, I am writing you today concerning the COVID-19 shutdown policy for nursing homes and healthcare facilities. We are now entering the fourth month of a lockdown on nursing homes across the state of Ohio. Husbands, wives, children, and loved ones have not been able to go in and visit their family members in Ohio's nursing homes. Our elderly who deserve visits, care and the expression of respect from those who love them have been denied this since the order went into effect. There are numerous heartbreaking stories of family members who were not able to be with their loved ones during their final days and hours on earth. This is cruel and an unusual act of government policy. The untold sadness, sense of loss, and remorse of those who were not able to pray with, care for, and simply just express their love to the ones they cherished before they left this life is something that I never thought we would see state government impose. The original intent of safeguarding our nursing home residents from the coronavirus may have been set forth with good intentions, and many Ohioans, including myself, thought this might be for a few weeks, but the duration of now going into four months with no plan for at least one family member going in to meet with their loved one is unacceptable. We are receiving numerous reports that these residents in the nursing homes are becoming despondent, confused, and not eating. Their family advocates are not able to properly fulfill their role 
in helping to oversee the health care needs of their loved ones in Ohio nursing homes. The order forbids them from entering the facilities to observe what health care workers may or may not be doing to care for their loved ones. My own mother has dementia, and I have not been able to see her since February in person. She does not understand why we cannot come in to see her, and I can tell that she feels as if we do not care. Every time we see her through the window, it breaks our hearts. I never thought I would live to see the day that a government would keep me from fulfilling one of the commandments of God, to honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth. My mother lived through the Great Depression in hard poverty, then World War II, then raised her family and served others. She and so many like her deserve better. Governor, I urge you in the strongest terms, allow family members to meet with their loved ones in Ohio's nursing homes. The goodwill and patience of Ohioans who have been waiting to hear from your office about a plan that would allow for visitation while safeguarding the residents has expired. We long thought that by now an announcement would have been forthcoming, but the reality is these seniors are wasting away in loneliness and a sense of imprisonment. They committed no crime, yet they are serving a punishment from a draconian order of government that is keeping them from family and friends. Even the incarcerated in Ohio's prisons for the worst types of crimes are not are entitled to visitors, but our elderly, some of the greatest generation, are being forced into seclusion without their consent. We urge you in the strongest terms, appealing to your goodwill and judgment, that the time has come to set forth a plan to allow for family and loved ones to visit their beloved family members in Ohio's nursing homes. Sincerely, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. That is a letter that we submitted to Governor DeWine's office on Friday, June 5th. And I want to go to a report out of Hamilton County in the Cincinnati area that, uh, of an event that happened on Monday. Let's go to that report. The group hopes the governor hears its message. The protesters say, let us in before something other than coronavirus kills our parents. What kind of life is this? People are begging to die at this point. It has been 89 days since Scott Reynolds has been in the same room as his mother, Francine. She has Alzheimer's. With COVID-19 being a deadly risk for people over age 65, he can only video chat or talk to her through her nursing home room window. When your mother is standing at a window, banging on a window, asking you to come in, and please, 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 I have to try to explain to her, and she doesn't comprehend. The group gathered outside Berkeley Square Nursing Home in Hamilton to send a message to Governor Mike DeWine. Their parents are deteriorating since he banned visitation due to the pandemic. That's my dad. Mm -hmm. um, he has dementia. Um, found out that uh, we had to call hospice. He's not eating. He no longer talks. He has bed sores and I haven't seen him since March 11th. Protesters told story after story of patients alone in rooms. Before that, she was walking up and down the halls, going to the cafeteria to eat her meals, uh, socializing, playing bingo, having exercise classes, getting her hair done. They say they want to check on their parents' conditions and treatment. Do you keep your child locked up for three months without being able to hug them, without knowing what they're eating, without knowing that they're being properly taken care of? Critics argue if an outbreak happens, it could kill someone else's parent. If employees can be tested, we can be tested. We need to be able to be with our parents. On Monday, the governor is allowing outside visits at assisted living facilities, but there's no timeline on when nursing homes will get visitation. The National Guard has orders to test populations of workers and patients at every nursing home in the state. I spoke to the general leading that effort, and he tells me the teams are starting with nursing homes that are already dealing with outbreaks. Reporting in Hamilton, Courtney Francisco, WCPO 9 News. That is a report from Cincinnati, Ohio, and the Hamilton County. Uh, and this is a nursing home down there. This was an event unrelated to our effort as we sent a, an urgent letter to the governor. Uh, and I got to tell you, folks, that's probably the strongest letter I've ever written to any government official. But I mean it with passion, and I mean it with intent. Uh, look, we as Christians are to care for our elderly. Uh, you know, Pastor, you just read this verse from, and I'm going to read it again, James 1.27. Pure religion 
and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. You know, on June 5th, uh, there must have been something happen all the same time, because here comes this uh, article from the medical press. It's titled, The Neurobiology of Social Distance, Why Loneliness May Be the Biggest Threat to Survival and Longevity. And it's an article written about the nursing home uh, seclusion that's taking place. It reads this, Never before have we experienced such social isolation on a massive scale as we have during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. A new paper published in the journal Trends in Cognitive Sciences explores the wide-ranging negative consequences that social isolation has on our psychological well-being and physical health, including decreased lifespan. The paper was so co-authored an associate professor uh, by uh, Daniel uh, Bizdok, um, and it goes on to talk about Through examining a broad range of studies, a full picture emerged of the severe impact that loneliness can have, namely that having strong interpersonal relationships is critical for survival across the entire lifespan. Social isolation is a significant uh, predicator of the risk of death. Insufficient social stimulation affects reasoning, memory performance, hormone performance, a number of brain and white matter activity, uh, connectivity and function, as well as resilience to physical and mental disease. Feeling of loneliness can spread through a social network, causing negatively skewed social perception, escalating morbidity and mortality, and in older people, precipitating the onset of dementia, such as Alzheimer's disease. Pastor Al. You're absolutely right, Chris, and even the Bible recognizes this because the Bible says a merry heart maketh, uh, maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Mm. And when the spirit is broken, it also says a broken spirit drieth the bones. And what that literally means is physical health deteriorates when somebody falls into depression And uh, in our nursing homes today, residents oftentimes have nobody to talk to. That's right. Nobody. Nobody to talk to. The staff doesn't have time to talk with each resident. They're hard-pressed before the shutdown. You know, and again, I want to make this clear. I'm glad you brought that up because we are not uh, besmirking the hospital, the uh, nursing home staff. In fact, where my mom is, she's been there for six years since my dad passed away. They take excellent care of her, but they need the family members to come mm-hmm. in and to interact with her and spend time with her and go over old pictures and memories and right. sing with and pray with and read with. And even the volunteers that come into mm-hmm. the nursing homes have forbidden for come coming in. in. Yeah. This is terrible. You have a great ministry over the years at the nursing home. Your uh, thoughts? We have a nursing home near our church. We have been going through there every week, every Sunday afternoon for, uh, for well, since uh, I became the pastor of the church uh, for over 20 years now. Every Sunday afternoon, uh, I visit the nursing home. We have a short service. We sing some songs, praise the Lord with in song, and then go through a shortened uh, Bible message. But even more than that is we spend time talking with the residents. And, yes. And and we found that oftentimes some of the residents don't have the benefit of involved family and friends like your mother has. Yes. And, and of course, we're talking about before the shutdown. And so we would provide oftentimes the only one for them to talk to. And staff, many staff members really care strongly for their residents. They do. But they're limited in how much time they can spend. That's the constant thing. When you have a dozen people to take care of in a short period of time to do it, you can't spend an hour or so with each, or even 10 minutes with each patient, just talking and letting them unburden themselves. And plus, also the volunteers and us with our church service coming in and then talking with the residents, we provide an outlet. We're not the facility, we're not the staff, we're a third party that can come in that oftentimes 
if they don't feel they can talk to the staff or they, they don't feel that they're getting resolution from the staff, we give them an opportunity to, to voice their concerns and, and perhaps even weigh in and speak to the staff on their behalf, things that uh, oftentimes family members do as well. It's an extra set of eyes, and it's also a help for the staff because they know that when they're uh, being visited by a family member or a volunteer, they know that that person is being taken care of watched and they they can concentrate on other residents that perhaps have more pressing needs and so the quality of care is going down uh, anxiety is increasing and depression and uh, and just as some of the things that we've mentioned already yeah. the people not eating uh, illness uh, things that uh, perhaps would have been minor uh, morphing into greater things and and it's just simply being deprived of that human interaction. And, and, and speaking as a pastor, not just the human interaction, but the opportunity to share the Word of God with people. Because I've seen people, even with dementia, that they might not uh, know what day it is, but you sing one of them old songs, like, Jesus loves me, this yes. I know, their eyes light up. That's right. They start swinging their feet, swinging their hands, and and they just love it. And it brings them a ministry of the Holy Spirit of God in a time when they're at perhaps one of their lowest. That's right. And when I go in to see Mom, of course, and we read the scriptures to her, the f- familiar passages that she uh, loves and remembers, when we sing songs that she remembers, show her pictures of the family and of the babies and the grandbabies, and this makes up her day. And, you know, it takes that time. When I go in to see Mom, you know, it take, you know, because she has dementia, it takes a few minutes just to warm up with that personal interaction and uh you know then she starts to really come around Mm -hmm. so you know this is part but you talk about months i mean we're pastor we're going to the fourth month so Mm -hmm. and here the governor and his team have addressed every other portion of society and this this is a group i'm sorry folks no they're out not protesting in the streets not throwing bricks at buildings you know Mm -hmm. not looting they're quiet and silent behind the doors. We're going to speak up for them, and that's what we're doing today. If you could tell I'm a little hot about this, folks, I am. Because when there's a right and wrong issue, that's when the Ohio Christian Alliance is going to step up to the plate and speak up for those who don't have a voice. You know, Al, we don't protest for ourselves. We protest for others. If it's the unborn and if it's the elderly, well, put me on the front of the line. Uh, a voice for the voiceless. Amen, brother. I'm reading from uh, our post here. Uh, we put it up, and by the way, you know, it's funny. I put this out there, and I was surprised. I shouldn't have been, but everybody started speaking up. Here's what James says. It is an atrocity that accommodations cannot be made for family members to visit their loved ones in uh, solitary confinement like felons on death row in prison for three months now. This is humane. Well, and Vanessa wrote, still haven't been with my husband for more than three hours in 10 weeks. Oh, my. He had his stroke on March 25th. My husband is 46 years old, and he needs brain stimulation to recover. He's getting therapy, but I could do so much more and give him more time. As it is now, I have to look at my husband through a window like he's a dangerous zoo animal. I am told that he is suffering with depression, and that breaks my heart. I want to help my husband recover. I'll wear head-to-toe hazmat gear. I already get a health screening every day at work. I realize that nursing home patients are the most vulnerable of all people, which is why I'm willing to do whatever so I can see him. Let us in to see our families. That's exactly that's, That's exactly right. And my mom, actually, she's been at the nursing home. Then the doctor ordered some uh, procedures, and she was uh, put in an ambulance, taken to the um, uh, emergency room over there at Suma, and they had a policy of no visitation. And so this is what's ridiculous. So uh, mm-hmm. I understand they're changing that now. This week they're going to start allowing at least one family member. We had a board member that had an emergency medical condition. His wife wasn't able to go in to see him. Look, folks, you can take precautions. You can put on gloves and masks and have temperatures taken. I mean, the staff does that. Why can't at least one family member do this for nursing homes? Um, here's another one, uh, Tammy. Uh, God bless this, Tammy. She's uh, She uh, called out. She tells a terrible story about her aunt that passed away, and nobody was able to be with her. 
I mean, Pastor Al, that is so heartbreaking. And yet she's the one still advocating for others because she knows how heartbreaking it was for her family. She's out there writing letters to the governor and saying, hey, this is just terrible. She did get a response back, so maybe something's beginning to happen. This is Tammy. She says, I finally received a call yesterday from an aide from the governor. They left a voicemail message from a restricted line, so I could not return the call. Uh, they said they were sorry to hear of the loss of my aunt last week and were working every day to come up with a plan to open up nursing homes. I'm sorry, but I don't believe it. It should be easy enough to say one family member or representative go in with gloves and a mask in temperature. And she's so right, Pastor Al. I mean, we are beyond the time of which, you know, because they, these are the folks that weren't clamming and, you know, clamoring and banging. They were silently withering away. And so, you know, nobody wants to protest the nursing home. We appreciate the nursing homes. That's not what we're protesting. We are protesting a draconian act of government that is keeping me from fulfilling uh, the commandment of God in honoring my mother and my father, which is basically from the Ten Commandments, folks, and it's the Fifth Commandment with promise, and that's what we need to be doing. So here's what I want you to do, a call to action today. I want you to call the only line, Pastor Al. This is amazing. <laughs> I've been doing this for 20 years. There's always been a governor uh, hotline that you can call the governor on any given issue. You know, I looked on there. All there was was a fillable form. So if you want to do that, go to the Ohio Christian Alliance website, click on the link, send the government governor an email. Be polite, but be direct and be firm. Uh, that's okay at this point. Uh, he needs to hear us loud and clear on behalf of our elderly. But here's a phone number you can call. It is the COVID-19 hotline. So if it's all running through there right now, so call this hotline and leave them a message. And this is 833-427-5634. Again, that's 833-427-5634. And folks, I want to thank you for making those calls and emails to the governor on this issue, speaking up for elderly, and we will give you an update here in the next couple of weeks. Well, on the other side, we're going to hear from uh, the testimony on the founding of American Documents curriculum that I presented in testimony in committee in the Primary and Secondary Education Committee a few weeks ago. And this was all before... Uh, the uh, George Floyd was passed, and uh, the video went viral. And and I think you'll find it to be very interesting of the exchange with the uh, with the committee members in relation to teaching our constitutional studies and founding documents in the Ohio classroom. We want to give you an opportunity right now. If you'd like a uh, pocket constitution with a Declaration of Independence, Bill of Rights for yourself, we have them. We'd like to send you out one. I want you to call this number. This is the Ohio Christian Alliance uh, office number, and let us know. Leave your name and address, and we'll send you out a free copy of the Constitution. And uh, the number is 330-887-1922. Again, that's 330-887-1922. 1922. Here, Pastor Al, there's your copy. Thank you. And uh, this is, again, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence. We'll send that out to you. And, of course, um, folks, I wanted to tell you about a wonderful event that's coming up. The Ohio Christian Alliance Freedom Banquet is scheduled, finally, for Thursday, July 23rd. We're going to have information on our website. We'd love for you to uh, join us. We're going to celebrate our country. We're going to uh, respect and celebrate the men and women in blue and also the first responders at our banquet. And we're going to have some special guests as well. And you can register at our website at ohioca.org. That's the Ohio Christian Alliance Freedom Banquet is coming up on July 23rd. Thanks for listening and God bless. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. 
This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust And we're back, and we're going to be talking about constitutional studies in the Ohio classroom. And now more than ever do our young people need to learn about our foundation as a representative republic, learning the Constitution of the United States with an emphasis of the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist Papers, the Northwest Ordinance, and uh, the Ohio Constitution in the Ohio classroom. Well, the Founding of American Documents curriculum that has been underway for the last eight years is due doing just that in the grades 8 through 12, and our young people are scoring higher than their counterparts in other states, and those reports have just come out here in the last uh, year of the uh, assessments uh, grades on these students, and they're scoring higher. Uh, than their counterparts in American government in American history. And that's due in large part to the passage of the uh, Founding of American Documents curriculum back in 2012 in the 129th General Assembly. Uh, And our organization worked long and hard to get that passed. It took us over 12 years through the Ohio legislature to get that passed. I actually been working on this since 1999, prior to the time of coming to the Christian Coalition and then the Ohio Christian Alliance as I serve as president now. And it's my privilege to do so, Uh, but I was doing this as a a citizen, an Ohio citizen, to get this through because I knew our young people need to learn the founding documents of our country. In Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, there are those who seek to tear down, but we are those who seek to build up and to actually uh, uphold those foundations that have kept us all these years in our American Republic. I'm reading from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Pastor Al, uh, it's it's a blessing to hear the words of the Declaration of Independence, is it not? Oh, absolutely, because that is the foundation of our whole government. Other, well, I should say the foundation really is the Bible, because the embibled body uh, Bible truths. But without the Declaration of Independence, you would not have the Constitution of the United States, nor would you have the state constitutions. That's right. And uh, in fact, our American Republic was born out of the Great Awakening where people were learning their liberty in Christ as there was a great revival and awakening across the American colonies. George Whitfield, one of the great preachers there, uh, during that time, the Wesleyan revivals, of course, and people were coming to faith in Christ. And then, of course, born out of that, it was that spirit of liberty. Now, the Bible says now that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And also in Leviticus, proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants thereof. And, you know, on the Liberty Bell, that scripture verse is inscribed. And so you're very, mu- you're very right in that the liberty that we have as Christians in Christ is the liberty of our government's reflection of that. 
Well, in the Ohio classroom, we have, of course, the founding of American Documents curriculum. House Bill 239 seeks to limit the testing. Actually, when it was first introduced, it seeks to eliminate the end-of-course exam. Well, if you take away the exam, uh, then the t- teachers would not feel compelled uh, to, to spend that much time on these subject matters. And I'm going to uh, play for you the audio of the testimony we gave in committee last Tuesday. Now, mind you, as you listen to this, I want you to think about something. I'm there testifying before the primary and secondary education committee. It's 10 a.m. This is before the story really broke and went viral of the terrible video of George Floyd being killed on the streets in Minneapolis under the hands of law enforcement. So that had not been known yet. It wasn't known to members of my to the committee, to my knowledge. It certainly, I didn't know of it. And this was on Tuesday of that week. And I want you to hear the testimony before the committee talking about the importance of our constitutional studies. And when we come back, we'll have a conversation with Pastor Al. Go ahead and play, play that testimony. Welcome to the committee. Good morning. Good morning, uh, members of the committee. I'd like to thank Chairman Jones, Vice Chairman Manchester, Ranking Member Robinson, and members of the House Primary and Secondary Education Committee for hearing our testimony in opposition to 239. That would eliminate end-of-course ex- examination in American government and history. Let me get, begin with a brief legislative history for the committee's benefit on legislation that was passed in the 129th General Assembly. In 2012, named the Founding of American Documents Curriculum, legislation that strengthened American government and history curriculum in Ohio schools from the grades 8 through 12. At that time, it was sponsored by State Representative John Adams and State Senator Larry Oboff. Our organization has supported strengthening American government and history standards in Ohio schools for the past 20 years. We first started supporting legislation in 1999. That would accomplish what eventually SB 165 did accomplish, assuring that Ohio school children learned the importance of the Declaration of Independence, the Northwest Ordinance, the Constitution of the United States, with an emphasis on the Bill of Rights, the Ohio Constitution, the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers, in the Ohio classroom in grades 8 through 12 with an end-of-course exam. It took more than 10 years to convince enough legislators, members of the state school board, and Ohio governor that the time had come to strengthen American government and history standards in Ohio schools with an emphasis on the founding documents of our nation. Then in the 129th General Assembly, with broad bipartisan support in both the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate, SB 165 passed and and was signed enthusiastically into law by Governor Kasich. State School Board passed an endorsing resolution supporting the effort. The Ohio Historical Association launched an effort to highlight the legislation and the importance of the founding documents, as well as Ohio's role in our early founding. Former Secretary of State John Houston launched a Founding Fathers Initiative to support the effort as well. The reason for the original concern was that Ohio's graduating seniors had low proficiency rates in American government and American history. Newsweek magazine in 2011 conducted a poll of 1,000 adults nationwide with 20 basic questions on American civics. They included the results in an article titled, How Dumb Are We? Only 62% of those polled passed the test. Included were such basic questions as, What happened at the Constitutional Convention? Only 35% got that correct. What is one power of the federal government? Only 19% could list one power belonging to the federal government. And what is the supreme law of the land? Only 30% knew that the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. It was because of that alarming results that the effort was launched to enact the founding of American Documents curriculum for Ohio school students. That great founding patriot, John Adams, once warned his generation that a constitution of government once changed from freedom can never be restored. Liberty once lost is lost forever. Thomas Jefferson stated, if a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. George Washington, our first president, demonstrated by his act of stepping down from his elected office that we truly were a republic, not a monarchy. When King George of England heard this, he stated, if he steps down, he truly will be the greatest man in the world. 
George Washington was following those guided restrictions on governmental office laid out in the U.S. Constitution. As our first chief executive, he stated, the Constitution is the guide which I will never abandon. This is not a time for us to abandon the constitutional studies in the Ohio classroom, far from it. It is a time when we should be emphasizing our founding documents and the freedoms and liberties that they afford every citizen. The threat of ignorance of governmental studies still exists in the U.S. population. In 2018, the Annenberg Public Policy Center of the University of Pennsylvania issued its findings of its Civics Knowledge Survey of 1,008 U.S. adults. The results were released in time for Constitution Day of September 17th. The survey found that many people did not know how the branches of government work. A quarter, 27%, incorrectly said the Constitution allows the President to ignore a Supreme Court ruling if the President believes the ruling is wrong. A third, 33% of respondents could not name any of the three branches of government. Here in Ohio, however, we see higher proficiency rates in American government and American history by our high school students over the last handful of years. This is due to the Ohio success story of strengthening American government and American history standards in grades A through 12. The success of Senate Bill 165 is something in which all Ohioans can take pride. For the past eight years, Ohio has been making progress as general knowledge of our constitutional form of government and our founding documents has increased among our graduates, this is due in large part to the fact that the founding of American Documents curriculum requires one full credit hour for the course study, one half credit hour for American history, one half credit hour for American government, with an end of course exam for each that guarantees it will be taught in the classroom. Without the examination, teachers will not be compelled to take the time for this course study of our founding documents. It is for this reason that we oppose House Bill 239, which is an attempt to reduce or eliminate the testing requirement. Thank you, Chairman, and members of the Primary and Secondary Committee. I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have at this time. Yes, Chairman uh, Jones, Representative Romer, uh, thank you for the question. <clears throat> I actually appreciate the testimony that the social studies teachers brought. I think they helped to actually make our point. The first testimony, he mentioned that one of the categories that is scoring higher in proficiency is American government and American history. And I think that speaks to the General Assembly of the 129th General Assembly, who saw fit to pass the Founding American Documents curriculum, the strengthening of American government and history, and really focusing in on that. So it's a success story, and I think they helped to make that point. The other um, issue with the second gentleman who spoke, something that stood out in his testimony saying that K through six, if I heard him correctly, in the primary level, that the founding documents is virtually non-existent in its uh, study. And this is something that happened a few years ago when the end of course exam in fourth and sixth grades was eliminated in a line item issue in the budget bill. It wasn't a standalone bill, or we would have addressed it at the time, and it was eliminated. And I'm thinking, why are we eliminating something that gives us some kind of marker to know what our students are learning or not learning? So we're very concerned about that. But speaking to the amendment, so obviously the amendment passed this morning while we're here. Uh, we, we, we appreciate the work that went into the amendment and, and trying to address some of the concerns. Um, we have some folks looking at that. And I was hoping before you, you passed it, at least it would be presented, we'd have time to actually look at it and. Uh, a little further, um, and of course the bill is still in process, we appreciate that. Um, but that there are issues with the amendment uh, concerning that is this an additional rollback of the testing requirements in American government, American history. If you're combining, you know, you can't, uh, you can't add by subtraction. If you're, if you're combining something, that means that you are reducing, uh, there is a reduction in it, that from our standpoint. Uh, there's other language in that amendment that's being deciphered by interested parties, and I'm sure that they'll weigh in here in the next week or so on this on this bill, depending upon how it turns out here in committee. Uh, I don't know if I answered your question. Representative Kaler. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on the answer that you gave, um, Representative Romer. You mentioned that the reduction 
means we'll be doing less. As I understand the amendment we passed today, there will be no reduction in teaching the founding documents, but there might be a reduction in the test questions. So if I combine them, we have a 100-question test for uh, American or, uh, history and 100-question test for the founding documents. If I create one test of 100 questions and 50 of them are on one thing and 50 are on another, I still have to study all the founding documents because I don't know which questions are going to be about the Declaration of Independence or about how the, the branches of government or the Constitution. So a reduction in the questions doesn't mean I have to reduce what I'm teaching. Is that correct? Uh, Chairman Jones, Representative Kaler, um, <clears throat> we're still trying to decipher exactly the language in the amendment. It was just uh, just over a little 24 hours old. And not all interested parties had a, had a chance to look at it yet and review. Um, that's a good question. Um, and, and there might be some reason behind that, but not knowing the specifics of the language of exactly what results it will have. There's always the unintended consequences that even the committee are not aware of, which might translate in the classroom that voting on it today, not realizing what impact it might have. So our position has been on this, and I know it seems as if we're being stuck in the mud on this. But sometimes you have to be bold and strong on something you know is working. If, uh, if I was, we were standing here today and saw no progress on Senate Bill 165, which passed the 129th General Assembly, then I'd be standing on some pretty weak ground. But we're standing on some pretty strong ground. And in fact, the previous testimony even alluded to that, that this is a success story in Ohio. We want to keep it going. Uh, their counterparts in other states don't have the benefit of the kind of um, guide that we put forward in the curriculum here in Ohio. And I know that many on the committee support that. I know you support that in concept in the classroom. Um, but it's one of those success stories that we just want to keep it going. And maybe a few years from now, we do look at maybe combining the test and saying, well, this really won't draw back. But having this success, why would you change something that's really working well? Representative Strayhorn. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Long, good to see you. Um, this is more of a, a sort of a baseline question for me to understand uh, your organi organization's position on um, the content of the social studies curriculum. And uh, I've seen this conversation play out nationally a couple of times where um, there's been a push to add things to the curriculum, but there is a feeling that if you add those things, you dilute other things. And I just want to understand, is your organization okay with adding things to the curriculum or are you guys in that camp where it's, we like the where we are now and we don't want to see other items diluted by adding other, other things to that curriculum? Uh, Chairman Jones, Representative Strayhorn, can you give some specifics? So, so there, uh, this is, uh, and, and I wrestle with asking this question because I don't want to seem like it's a gotcha thing, and it's sure. not, and it's really just when I had a conversation about it. Um, uh, history is a funny thing as to who's telling it and whose history it is and how it impacts other people. And so other, other ethnic groups talked about adding components of their history. Um, and particularly not segregating their history out for like a month or, or a week. If it's American history, it's American history. It should be incorporated into the curriculum. And so there was a pushback on that. And so, and I'll give you my own personal example. Um, I, I, I had a pretty good education, um, got a, a lot of exposure to the founding documents, bought into a lot of stuff. I, I understood certain things that happened, but it really didn't hit me emotionally until I was at Mount Vernon and I was walking through the slave pens. And so I had one understanding of a founding father and one perception, which I actually held pretty tight most of the time. And even though I knew this existed, it didn't hit me until I actually physically was in that space. That's never, that's never taught, that's never shared. That no, no, no African-American kid is equipped to make that, that transition. And so I'm, I'm just sort of curious as to this isn't something we're going to tackle in this bill today, but I really was just kind of, kind of feeling out where is the space to say, hey, does it make him less great on this, this, and this, but it is an inconsistency and that's never talked about. And so how do we interpret the, those things? And so is there room in your organization for at least a discussion about 
How do we include Latino history? How do we include African-American history? How do we include Asian history in that history? Or is it felt that those adding those things, you don't necessarily feel like you want to diminish those things, but you also only have a certain amount of time and you, you may say we don't want to dilute X number of exposures to the Constitution. I just want a sort of a baseline understanding of that. Uh, Chairman Jones, Representative Strayhorn, excellent question. I think under American history, uh, obviously therein lies the perimeters to be able to address our nation's history, both good and bad. Uh, when we think about that from the founding of that Constitutional Hall, there were those who were opposed to slavery, that if you're, if you're, just, if you're scripting a document that all men are created equal, they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You cannot leave out anyone. And there were those in that constitutional hall who knew that that was the truth. Abolitionists from the beginning. And of course, our nation played that out in a great drama on the battlefields across the landscape in the Civil War. And so I would address those students in my classroom who are of African-American descent, that these rights, these privileges are just as much yours as they are mine, that you need the Bill of Rights that when you're pulled over unlawfully and treated by law enforcement in an unjust manner, you have rights and privileges in this Constitution with these Bill of Rights that you can make your appeal. That's what I would teach in the classroom. And I think this is the 400th year of the Pilgrim's Landing. In the last few years, my wife and I have taken our opportunity to go up to Plymouth and to visit with a local pastor who's a historian, who's giving us, and he's a native of Massachusetts, and he's giving us real history, things they never knew about the pilgrims, the separatists, those, that small group, that small band that came there. We hear all kinds of things, and there's Native Americans that come every year, and they, they sit over the area where the bones of the original 120 are laid there on the shores. And they protest. I would actually join their protest. But it wasn't the pilgrims that they should be protesting because they saw the natives, Americans, as their peers. And history tells that, but we don't hear that history. That's part of our American history. There is another group that came from England, and they believed in dominion, and they believed in subjugating the Native Americans. In fact, Martha's Vineyard was unlawfully taken. I think we should give Martha's Vineyard back to the Native Americans because it was unlawfully acquired by that group of people who came in and forcibly took the land. The pilgrims didn't do that. They shared, and we, even when they would purchase land, the Native Americans, because they saw the land as belonging to, we belong to the land, and they would hunt on those same properties. And they said, yeah, that's fine, you're my brother. Fine, it's, it's open. See, this is a history too that we don't teach in the classroom, but it's so important. Because there are two, there's a very ugly view of our history as well. And unfortunately, it, it came with enforcement. And for many people, it was a long time before they learned and exercised and experienced those freedoms that we all enjoy. Just follow up. Go ahead. And, and I don't know if this is a question or, or a comment, and I don't want to put you on the spot with the organization in terms of um, making a, in, in other elements of those those contributions and vendors, what have you, I, I think it's important because that's where not just black folks but white folks get to see everybody's contribution, and that's Absolutely. how people accord value. And if you never hear the other folks' contribution, you begin to think that they don't have value. And I think we still grapple with race in America, um, and I think part of it is. So social study teachers, I think, are important because I think part of that is, for too long we've left absent adding enough of those contributions where both sides are seeing everybody's contribution and, and having value of each other. And so I think what you guys do is important. What you were just listening to was the transcript audio of the Primary and Secondary Education Committee from last Tuesday. That's before all this transpired with George Floyd's death. In fact, that morning, those of us in the hearing room were not aware of what was going on in the outside world. We were uh, having a discussion on the importance of constitutional studies in the Ohio classroom. 
Well, I want to thank those of you that made phone calls to oppose House Bill 239, that which would have diminished the teaching time in the classroom of constitutional studies. And there were 14 no votes, seven abstentions. Uh, and so the bill did pass, unfortunately, but we've got good security in the Senate, uh, as the Senate president was the original sponsor of the Founding of American Documents curriculum. I had a conversation with him over the weekend. Uh, he's not going to let that bill go forward, but we still need to be vigilant to make sure these constitutional studies continue. Pastor Al, your thoughts? You're absolutely right, Chris, and this does tie in. You know, it's kind of, on the one hand, ironic what was going on outside in the outside world at that time. And it's the lack of knowledge of what our founding fathers fought for and what they enshrined in the Constitution and those founding documents that really, if people understood them, should help to prevent things like that. In fact, Thomas Jefferson said, I know no state depository the ultimate powers of the society, but people themselves, and if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion by education. This is the true corrective of abuses of constitutional power. That's right. And, uh, you know, this is why it's so important, folks, that we just be vigilant, we be awake at, to the times, and be able to speak and speak to the, to the times. And the Sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Here on this radio program, News in Focus, we're going to bring to you relative news stories, and we're going to have guests that, and experts to come on to weigh in. If you'd like to support News in Focus, you can go to our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Just Google that or go to ohioca.org and make a contribution to help keep us on the air. I want to thank my guest today, uh, David Miller from Cincinnati, uh, from the city council down there, and also Pastor Al uh, for being on the program with us today. If you've missed any of the program, you can hear it in its entirety on our website at ohioca.org. We'll be with you next week. We're going to continue the story, and please pray for calm throughout all of our country. Pray for our president, pray for our leaders, and pray for our men and women in blue. God bless you. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.